This morning's reading is from Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Bridget, and thank you all for being with us this morning at River Oaks. We are so glad to have you here. This was a big week for uh, a lot of folks, a lot of colleges starting back. Anybody here drop off a freshman at college in the last week or two? Any of you take a freshman to college where there are a lot of tears, a lot of weeping? Don't worry, next year at this time, they might be tears of joy when you start taking them back. That, some parents have told me that. So how many, how many uh, are taking a kid in kindergarten tomorrow for the first day, child of kindergarten? That's a tough time, too, seeing them walk up the sidewalk on their own, but that'll, that'll get easier, too, I understand. Well, I would love to take just a moment and especially pray for our teachers. We have a number of teachers and uh, school administrators and others, counselors in our church. They've got a big year ahead, and also love to pray for our college students as they've gone off, that they would find some strong Christian fellowship on their respective campuses. So would you join me as we pray for these folks for a moment? Father, we are so thankful to be able to come in the name of our Lord Jesus and know that you hear our prayers. And we pray especially your blessing, your guidance, your wisdom, and your grace for all here who are involved in education, teachers, administrators, counselors. We pray your grace and blessing on our students. Especially pray for those headed off to college that you would guide each one of them to a strong fellowship so that their years at college would be years of spiritual growth. We pray for all the children here today who are beginning a new class in Noah's Ark or going into Kids Rock for the first time, or maybe going to youth for the first time this evening. Lord, we ask that each one would find a place of acceptance and sense your presence and the love of your spirit through your people. And now, Lord, would you guide us as we open your word? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We continue this morning a short study that we have been doing during the month of August on the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, chapter that I think is filled with some of the most valuable practical instruction for living the Christian life that's found in the scripture, in the Bible. We've called it the transformed life because the chapter is all about what a transformed life looks like. We began 
on August the 6th by considering the, the first couple verses in this chapter, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and they're so important that I urged you to memorize those two verses. And if you haven't done that yet, I'll encourage you again today to memorize Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. The verses fall at a point of transition in the book of Romans. The book of Romans is 16 chapters written by the Apostle Paul. But keep in mind it was originally written as one long letter. As we look at the book of Romans, you, you can kind of divide it into two parts. Chapters 1 through 11 are largely theological truth. Chapters 12 to the end, chapter 16, are more heavily weighted with practical application of that truth. The first section being largely explanation of the gospel, the latter section being largely application of the gospel, living it out. So chapter 12 begins the transition. On the screen you'll see the final verses of chapter 11 that lead us into chapter 12. And in these verses the Apostle Paul is celebrating that about which he has been writing, the gospel that God has brought through Jesus Christ, providing salvation not just for Jews, but every race and nation and ethnicity of people. Sometimes the Bible used the term Gentiles to refer broadly to those who are not Jews. And he writes, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? who has been his counselor, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. So he's celebrating the great thing God has done. And now we go into chapter 12 and we find these words. I appeal to you, therefore, and anytime we see a therefore, we want to consider the verses that just preceded it, right? When he's talking about the great things God has done. Therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, two things we want to note here. The first is that life transformation, the subject of this chapter, comes and starts with having received God's mercy. And you see that again in the, verses on, uh, the verse on the screen. Paul appeals to the church by the mercies of God. So Romans 12 is not all about, you got to do better, you got to work harder, you got to strive to be more religious. No. Rather, it's all about responding to the mercy of God in the gospel. And so Paul begins the chapter, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Life transformation starts here. Receiving the mercy of God in the gospel. Secondly, life transformation comes by the renewing of our minds. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul writes, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. The word world here, and in some many translations of the Bible, would, would be the word age. World or age mean essentially the same thing. And the Apostle Paul is using the term here to refer to 
what we might call the spirit of the age, the spirit of the world, the desires, the lusts, the drives, the, the pull of the world, which often serves to pull us away from the will of God. Elsewhere in his writings, the Apostle Paul says that Satan is the little g, God, of this age, of this world. That's the sense in, what he's, in, in how he's using the, the word world here. Don't be conformed to this world. Unless there's purposeful, deliberate action not to be conformed to the world, we will be conformed to the world. We will be pulled in its direction. It's like being out in the ocean. Many of you, I'm sure, were at the North or South Carolina coast this summer. You went to the beach. Maybe you got to go out and enjoy the ocean water a little bit. Maybe you went 30, 40 feet out and floated on the water, rode some waves in. Maybe you were with some friends or some kids. And you got out in the water and you looked back and you had a couple of beach chairs and towels. And 15, 20 minutes later, you've been having fun in the water. You look back and your chairs aren't there. Your beach towels aren't there because you've... You've drifted 50, 60, 100 feet uh, down the coast because of the current, because of the undertow. And so to, to get back to where you were, you've got to make a deliberate effort to walk against that current. And that current is much like the conforming pull of this age on the believer without purposeful, deliberate action to remain with our minds fixed on the will of God, we will be pulled away. And that purposeful fixing on the will of God comes, the Apostle Paul says, by the renewal of the mind. The renewal of the mind comes about largely by the application of God's truth. Exposure of our minds to Scripture, where we find the will of God, the Word of God, the ways of God. The Bible itself tells us that Jesus washes his church, his people, with the water of the word. So God's word has a, a purifying effect on our minds. It has a cleansing effect. It has a renewing effect. And as go our minds, so will go our behavior. And so the Apostle Paul begins this amazing chapter by appealing to us to receive the mercy of God and the gospel and then be purposeful about the renewing of our minds. He does this before he launches into the rest of the chapter that has to do with our behavior, the way we live, the way we act when we have a transformed mind. And we'll look at that today, what uh, we might refer to as a transformed life. And so throughout chapter 12, he gives us several marks or indications of a transformed life. It's a real picture of what a follower of Jesus, a believer in Jesus, should look like. A transformed life is demonstrated several ways. Number one, by love for others in the family of God. Love is perhaps the most clear, defining mark of a follower of Jesus. Because Jesus said to his followers, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. As I've loved you, that you also love one another. And then he said, by this, all people will know you're my disciples, your followers, if you have love for one another. So it's a defining mark of an individual believer to love one another, as this chapter tells us to do, with brotherly affection. It's also a defining mark of a church at large. The world on the outside is looking to see 
the way we followers of Jesus live, aren't they? They especially need to see love for one another. Some time ago, I was listening to a message by a pastor named Steve Shogren. Uh, pastor Shogren wrote a book called Conspiracy of Kindness. And in the book, he gave practical ways for followers of Christ, believers, Christians, churches, to show God's love in the community. And he shared a story about a, a group from a church that were doing that one day. Um, they were giving away light bulbs door to door. It's kind of a nice touch. Everybody needs a, a light bulb sometime and put a little card on it that says, you know, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. So they're giving away light bulbs door to door. And he shared what uh, he presented as a, as a true story. A couple of folks went up to a house. <clears throat> as they were preparing to knock on the door, there was a loud argument underway just inside the door. It happened to be a dad arguing with his son. The son had become a Christian and was probably too zealous in presenting the gospel, preaching to his dad, trying to get him to go to church. And his dad was totally resistant, and they fought a lot. They were angry. And at this moment, his dad's hand was on the kitchen door as he was about to leave the house. And in a loud tone, he was saying to his son, if you Christians would stop talking about the love of God and start showing it, maybe I would listen to you. And at that point, there came a knock on the door. And he said, what do you want? Who are you? And they said, well, we're Christians from this church, and we're just showing the love of God in a practical way, and we're giving away light bulbs. Now, Pastor Shogren went on to say the man did uh, come to their church eventually, did come to faith in Jesus, and at the time he gave the story, he was actually serving in their church. The world is watching. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer, philosopher, said, when we Christians behave badly or fail to believe well, we're making Christianity unbelievable to the outside world. Jesus said, they'll know your, my followers by your love for one another, and it's one of the outcomes of a transformed life. Another mark given in this chapter, broadly speaking, really flows out of love, and it's zeal <clears throat> in serving God, expressed by patience, prayer, generosity, and hospitality. So we read these words in verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. These things all flow out of the love of God that should work in our lives. It's by love for God that we're patient when we go through tribulation or suffering. It's by love for God that we're constant in prayer. It's by love for one another that we contribute to the needs of saints. It's by love for others that we seek to show hospitality. Now let's not read through this list of marks of followers of Jesus and think, I got to work harder. I got to do better. The real key to this is not working up our will to a certain degree but drawing the power and grace and strength to do this from the Holy Spirit. Remember the book of Romans is one letter, one unified whole. And the Apostle Paul has already taught in this letter, it's found in chapter 5, when he said the love of God, the love of God is poured into us, into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. 
You can't manufacture the love of God in your own strength. It's imparted to us by the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere in uh, chapter 8, he would say, I don't even know how to pray as I should. But it's the Holy Spirit who helps us in our weaknesses. And so the, the teaching I think the Apostle Paul is bringing is, it's not so much try harder as it is yield more, trust more, believe more. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But he's given us the Holy Spirit to be our helper. The transformed life is a life that is expressed out of a dependence on the Holy Spirit, who is a gift to the believer, who is our helper. Our part is to yield to him, to seek the fullness of his presence, to seek his control, to be, in the words of the Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, a transformed life is demonstrated by humility. Another key, genuine mark of a believer. The Apostle Paul says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. One of the keys to having harmony in relationships is humility on the parts of those in that relationship. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. The passage that David Holcomb looked at last week in this chapter, there's a very important verse, verse 3, that reads, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. The Bible has a lot to say about humility. The Bible says God opposes the proud and gives his grace to the humble. And humility in Scripture is really presented in two directions. Humility before God, which we should all have, but we're also taught the need of humility toward other people. And that's the focus of this particular chapter. It's humility in our relationships with one another. It's not being haughty. It's not only associating with people who are like ourselves because of our education or our wealth or our status in life, but deliberately making an effort to associate with people who are not like us and never being wise in your own opinion. This attitude of humility, I, I think, is so critical in the church of Jesus Christ today. And I, I think it has much to do uh, on a, a national scale with God's people living this way to being the key to racial healing in our, our nation. The gospel itself strongly, strongly condemns any type of racial superiority one group over another. Because the whole message of the gospel is that every person is accepted who comes to God through faith in Jesus, regardless of race, ethnicity, background. And there is only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one body. Much of the emphasis of the book of Romans to this point given by the Apostle Paul, has been that the gospel, the provision of Jesus, is now, as was promised to Abraham, for all nations. It's not just the Jews. 
There's no racial superiority whatsoever when it comes to the gospel. He wrote in chapter 9, quoting the prophet Hosea, these words from God, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. As David Holcomb noted last week, in the early church, the very first new members class had people from all these different nations. So the very message of the gospel itself is that God's saving work is for all people, all races, all ethnicities, all backgrounds. And the gospel itself strongly, strongly condemns any idea of supremacy by any particular race. Paul writes elsewhere these powerful words in the book of Galatians. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ to put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. Again, and the powerful words of the Apostle Paul, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. There is no caste system in the kingdom of God. May God use his church to bring healing in our nation. And I just want to say this to you because our, you know, our, our media it really focuses on many of the, the really bad and terrible and extreme things happening. And it's important to know that those things are happening. And while there's certainly racism in our own area and much that needs to be dealt with, I just want to say that I'm grateful to live in a place where I see efforts toward progress being made. Significant efforts. I'm talking about things that are being done by groups like New Canaan Society and Love Out Loud, the Kingdom Matters events, bringing believers together to discuss openly issues of race. You may not be aware that a number of us pastors come together every month from different churches, East Winston, West Winston. We go from church to church praying with and for each other. And some have agreed on Saturday nights not to pray for our own churches, but to pray for other churches. And I share this with you just to say, I, I think there are some, some good things happening among God's people. <clears throat> but I think we all have a calling to represent Jesus more in this way. So I would urge you today to search your own heart. Is there any attitude of superiority toward another person because of race or social standing, degree of education? Is there any haughtiness? These verses say, don't be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. If there's racism, repent of it. And the next thing I would say is if, if that's been a struggle in your life, seek to, to make friendships with people or from different backgrounds than yourself. Maybe a different race, a different ethnicity. Remember years ago when there was, so, there was a lot of publicity about immigration issues, I, I went to a, a, a Latino friend and said, hey, 
give me your perspective on this. What, what's your way of viewing this? What's your way of thinking about this? I think we, we break down barriers, we build bridges in some of those ways. As the church of Jesus, we should be all about that. In fact, I want to pause right now and just pray. God help us with this. Would you join me? Father, we want to pray together. Lord, we see so much in our world that is so disheartening. And we ask for your help. We ask for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on your church. That your church would lead the way toward unity across races in breaking down barriers and demonstrating the true humility of the gospel, the humility of Jesus Christ. And would you work among us as individuals, Lord, where there are attitudes of some kind of superiority or fear or racism, Lord, would you bring those to the light, bring us to repentance, cleanse us, change us, shape us into the people you call us to be. Let us see others with your eyes, Lord. Help us, we pray. In the name of our Lord Jesus, who died for all people. Amen. Another mark of the transformed life. Peacemaking. Powerful, powerful verse to consider in relationship with other people. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I am so glad that when the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write these few words, he included the words, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Because you can do all you can to be at peace with some people, but you cannot change their wills. You can't solve all of their problems. So God's call here is to take the initiative and to do everything we can do to be peacemakers with people with whom we are at odds in some way. And Jesus said, when you do this, in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. What he meant by that is, is that you'll be being like God. You will be reflecting God. You'll be like God when you're making efforts to be peacemakers. Maybe you work with someone with whom you have a terrible relationship, hard to get along with, you're at odds with that person, you're feeling resentment toward that person, and when you honestly consider things, you honestly assess things, you, you can truly say you believe that person's about 95% in the wrong, and, and maybe you're 5% in the wrong. Being a peacemaker means... You're willing to apologize for the 5%. You don't lie. You apologize for what you can. You do what you can. You build a bridge when you can. And you leave the results with God. Because the implication of this verse is that while we should try to be at peace with everybody, we can't necessarily solve everybody's issues. And so we leave it with God. Do what you can to be at peace with all you can and leave the results to God. Finally, a transformed life is demonstrated by love for enemies. The Apostle Paul writes, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. He's 
really referring to a teaching of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, bless those who curse you, love your enemies, pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Remarkable statement, isn't it? Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus did this on the cross, the very people who crucified him. We find them on the cross praying for them. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. This is how the gospel calls us to relate to people who trouble us, who persecute us, who would even be considered enemies. And Jesus said again in the Sermon on the Mount, when you do this, you'll be sons of your Father in heaven. You'll be being like God in doing this. Paul goes on to uh, say along these lines, in regard to vengeance, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is good in the sight of all. And he goes on to say, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. We often think, well, I've, I've got to pay somebody back for what they've done. But the Bible says, the wrath of man does not achieve the righteous purposes God desires. My wrath is never purely holy like God's is. But God's wrath is always perfectly just, perfectly holy. So the Bible is saying, leave the vengeance with God. Leave the vengeance to God. He will handle it. That's not your job. It's not my job. And then we find these interesting words. On the contrary, rather than taking vengeance, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Now that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? It comes right out of Proverbs chapter 25, where the book of Proverbs says these very words. To, to feed your enemy, if he's hungry, if he's thirsty, give him a drink. And you'll heap coals of fire on his head. What does that mean, to have coals of fire heaped on somebody's head? It sounds like a nice punishment, doesn't it? I don't think that's at all what it means in this context. Some people say it may refer to an ancient Egyptian ritual whereby penitent people carried around coals on their head and as a sign of genuine repentance. But I think the best way to understand it is right in the context of, fi- of what we find here. I don't know really what it means to heap burning coals on someone's head, but I think our call is to do good rather than to do evil. And it's all summarized by this one powerful, powerful verse. A great principle for life. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Such a verse to memorize and carry with you in life. Whenever you face difficult things, whenever you face evil, To call this verse to mind, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And again, here, Jesus is the great example, just as he is with humility and with love for enemies and with peacemaking, because he not only became our peacemaker, he is the one who overcame the evil of our sin by his perfect life. His goodness on the cross. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, fully God, fully man, no sin in Him, 
took our place there on the cross, bore our judgment, so that through our faith in Him, we could be reconciled to God, considered righteous, forgiven, counted right with God. He overcame evil with good through the sacrifice of His life on the cross. And so that verse ends really where the chapter began with reflection on the mercy of God and the gospel. And we remember that a transformed life is not about trying harder, working more, becoming more religious, but rather receiving the mercy of God, having our minds renewed, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit who enables us to live lives that reflect this transforming work through the gospel of Jesus. Next week, We'll continue in this chapter by looking back at Romans 12, but specifically to apply the teaching to marriage. So our subject next week will be from this chapter, but on transformed marriages. But as we draw to a close today, I want to suggest a couple of questions by way of personal application. Number one, Have I stepped onto the path of transformation by receiving God's mercy in the gospel? And again, this is the starting place for a transformed life. Putting faith in what Jesus has done, bowing the knee to his lordship, becoming his follower. That's the starting place, is receiving what he's already done for us, becoming his follower. And then secondly, for those of us who are his followers, to ask ourselves, to what degree am I seeing the fruits of a transformed life? by these marks. You know, in our lives, we tend to, to evaluate ourselves in many areas of life. Our health. We check our health periodically. We have checkups. We check our weight. We check our blood pressure. We watch our diet and our exercise, and we should. We're to be good stewards of our bodies. We check our financial health. We check what we're doing with our money. If you have retirement accounts, periodically you look at them, you may rebalance them. What about your spiritual life? Do you ever take time to assess your spiritual health? I think sometimes we're far more concerned with the physical and the financial and the material than the spiritual, but I think the Bible calls us to assess our spiritual health when it says things like examine yourselves. I want to suggest to you that Romans chapter 12 is a perfect chapter to reflect upon, to pray about, to see how we're doing in our spiritual progress and to ask for God's help, the help of the Holy Spirit to bring us further. So let's pray about that as we prepare to close this morning. Father, we thank you for giving us your word and especially today for giving us Romans chapter 12. I ask that you would use it powerfully in each of our lives. For those who do not truly know you yet, would you work in each one to bring them to fully embrace your mercy and the gospel by becoming followers of the Lord Jesus. Father, for those who have someone they need to forgive, someone with whom they need to reconcile, would you bring great grace and power from the Holy Spirit? And would you enable us to live lives before this watching world that reflect well 
on the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his great name. Amen.